Hi everyone. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks to to the audience for for for, for joining us. We have now nearly uh, 100 people who who, who registered to, to be to be to be live with us today. <clears throat> Uh, first, before I start to say anything, I would like to address my deep sin sincere condolences to the Israeli people for what they suffer now. Uh, it's very sad, horrific, and uh, we are all with you. Uh, so that's what, what, I, what, what I wanted to say just before to start. Today, I have a fantastic guest, Dr. Ari Gargir. He's um, uh, the founder CEO of Red Sea Biotech, a great company that uh, is uh, developing maybe one of the most precious uh, solution to uh, one of the most uh, critical problem uh, in, in the health issue in the worldwide. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Gargier, to be uh, my guest today. Uh, and, uh, and I'm very, very happy to have you today because of, this, because of the circumstances, of course, it's very, very uh, important to have you today. <clears throat> thank you very much. Happy to be here and present Red, Red Sea. Good afternoon to, or morning to everybody, and uh, I'll be happy to tell you and uh, about Red Sea. We're doing something that uh, today more than ever is important and emphasized uh, that it's needed, and uh, I hope that we'll be able to contribute. Perfect. Uh, maybe, uh, uh, Dr. Gargan, could you maybe directly uh, talk about... Uh, the, the problem you address uh, before before even we we start by discussing about your your background your, and who you are maybe we sh we need to to bring uh, to 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 the to the um, to the mind of our audience how the you, you, the problem you address is critical and and uh, maybe you can start with that yeah so let's let's uh, for the very uh, top level so red sea biotech is developing an industrial process enable the production of unlimited uh, red blood cells uh, for mostly for life-saving uh, transfusions and for advanced therapies. Um, it's a revolutionary technology. It's a revolutionary so uh, that solution that will help the blood supply um, all around the world. It's an immense market. The potential of the market is very big uh, at this point, and I'll ex perhaps explain about this uh, later on, but uh, we're still uh, at a very, at the maybe half the amount of blood that's in for the world. And so the, the actual potential of what we're doing is much larger. And uh, it's, of course, a humanitarian, um, uh, it has global impact and what we're doing will have impact on countries all over the world advanced countries and low income so this is this is what we're doing and um, the need uh, Ari, perhaps you would like to go about the actual need and analyzing the need uh, perhaps later and we'll go about that every all the all of the aspects. sure sure uh, I, I just want i just wanted you know to 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 highlight how much <clears throat> the 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 blood the shortage of blood transfusion is is a very critical issue uh, in the in the health uh, in the health, for the health of of, of the human being uh, worldwide it's not just something uh, that that affect uh, um, let's say developing countries so it's also a, a touching uh, developed country uh, do 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 we have some numbers to to share uh, 
how many people are affected, you know, how many people die because of blood of um, blood transfusion shortage and or, or have a bad consequence of, of a lack of, of a lack of blood. Yeah. So um, around the world, uh, there are about 120 million blood units that are donated every year. 60% of them are in the high-income countries, meaning that maybe a quarter of humanity is enjoying two-thirds of, of the blood that is donated. Um, so it is calculated that there are about 100 million blood units that are in shortage, constant shortage every year. This is, this is the uh, contrast between um, high-income uh, countries and low-income. On the other hand, also in high-income countries, uh, there are uh, occasional shortages. Um, blood, um, you know, blood is given. The only way people uh, can get blood is from donation. There is no other way today to supply blood to human beings. And uh, because of that, um, excuse me, and due to that, the... Uh, uh, the supply is at the whim of the goodness of people. Mm. Uh, there are holidays, there's bad weather, there are pandemics, there are emergency states, and also in uh, places that have an actually very good blood supply, sometimes fall in sh into shortage. The, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic showed it. Uh, many countries, almost all of the blood uh, transfusion agents were in severe supply challenges throughout the, the pandemic. And, um, and I think there is an understanding today that there needs to be an alternative to these uh, resources. We cannot only depend on, uh, on the altruism of people, even though mostly people are, uh, are very uh, happy to donate and they feel good about saving Absolutely. So there is the first uh, problematic is the, the donation. Uh, there is also um, the, the the storage of the blood. It's it's a living or it's a, the the red cells and are, are living uh, cells. Uh, so they can't be stored forever. Uh, they can't be freezed. Um, they, they have we have tried in the past you not know, to to many many a protocol to freeze them and to unfreeze them. But there always a lot of lost. The cell die and. And even at two at two degree, you know the the, the temperature of your fridge, uh, the the storage has a has a has a limitation. We, we can't storage blood forever. So it, it's it's a very it's, it's a can we say it's a, it's a lean manufacturing um, process? It's a yeah yeah. First of all, red blood cells have a shelf life, and at, and uh, most of them are stored at two to eight degrees Celsius, uh, and at that temperature they can last for about a month. Mm. Um, so uh, the, the shelf life is limited, but it's also known that their quality starts diminishing after a couple of weeks. Um, so they're not exactly as good as they were uh, when they were donated. Uh, there are additional problems uh, or challenges that the blood uh, donation tree have uh, with the blood supply. One of them is the fact that blood uh, each blood unit is um, a, a, a batch of its own. And so each blood unit has to be tested for seven to eight antigen uh, diseases, uh, uh, contaminations like HIV, uh, hepatitis, and, and each one of these blood uh, transfusions has to be uh, typed because, as you know, 
There are the different blood types, the ABO groups, which O is the one that could fit everybody. There's the RHD group, which in the minus, the negative, is, uh, fits uh, most people. But uh, there, um, the distribution of the blood types uh, does not, uh, 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 the distribution of the donations does not exactly uh, fit the distribution of the needs. For example, uh, O negative, a blood type is considered universal. You can transfuse O negative to every man and woman, uh, generally without testing, if in emergency. When a person would go into an operation, he could, uh, there are additional tests that are done in order to make sure that you have uh, the exact blood type that's called cross-matching. But uh, in emergency, you could give O negative to almost every human, especially uh, and O negative is most likely given to women at the fertility age. Maybe we won't go into the exact reason of that. O positive can be given to everybody, uh, at, uh, to all the rest, uh, all older women or men, uh, without testing. Uh, but the, the distribution is uh, 6% O negative when you would like to give that to almost 50% of the population and 30% O positive when you want to give it to the others. So there's always uh, a problem in the, the uh, uh, in the stocks, in the inventories. The, it's very difficult. Uh, the shelf life makes it difficult. The logistics, and of course, running after the people, right? uh, uh, contacting and bringing the donors to actually give the blood is a problem that that is actually growing as 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 humanity goes forward people are less likely to donate in these days the population is growing the population of elderly people is growing uh, the population of cancer uh, patients is uh, is growing and uh, you know about 20 to 25% of the blood donations go to oncology uh, patients. So mm. a lot, the, the need for blood is still there. Thank you for reminding all these uh, challenges, challenges that, that, um, uh, that uh, concern the blood transfusion. There is also another one is that the, um, the what, how can I say, the, the infection of the, of the donor. Some donor can, can have infection, virus or bacteria, and this can be uh, transmitted to, to, the, to the receiver. Uh, of course, in, in normal times, the blood are tested, they are clean. But uh, in, in emergency, when you have to, to, to bring donors in, 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 in an emerging emergency field and take the blood, maybe you don't have time to, 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 to be, uh, uh, let's say, a very uh, clinical grade. Uh, so that's that's also an, an, a very important issue. We, in France, we had a very uh, we had a very important uh, scandal past past years uh, in the nineties. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, today, you could say that the blood donated blood is relatively safe. The uh, occurrence transfusion uh, transferred uh, infections rare, but still, um, the product, for example, that we're going to be supplying will be totally pathogen-free because of the standards that were manufactured. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for reminding the challenge uh, that affect uh, the blood transfusion uh, in, uh, how can I say, industry or, or process. Um, let's say a little, let's talk about a little bit about yourself and how, uh, who are you, Dr. Arya? <laughs> who are you born and how, uh, where, what was your familiar environment? Do you, do you grew up uh, 
among scientists or is it something you discovered by yourself lately at, in high school? Um, maybe we can talk about a little bit about yourself and how you finally ended into becoming a scientist and, and how you become a, a bio-entrepreneur. Well, uh, I was born in the United States, but I grew up in Israel since the age of six, and that was a long time ago. Uh, um, my parents, my, my mother uh, is an artist, my father uh, taught engineering, uh, industrial engineering and statistics, um, but I had the, uh, the inclination towards science from a very young age, and one of the first memories I have is from uh, 1969, from the landing on the moon. Uh, I remember that, seeing that in live when I was four years old. Uh, and uh, and uh, I remember the, how it moved me, how that uh, opened the, the, uh, the craving for explore, exploration. And uh, so I, uh, that uh, started uh, my, I, I would say that started my uh, um, beginning as a scientist. But later on, I had, I kind of drifted. Uh, towards the biology, the love of animals mm. and chemistry, and uh, I was a pretty nerdy kid. Um, I like I like I read science fiction uh, books, and I uh, did experiments. And uh, when I went, used to go out on trips uh, in our youth movement, with friends, I would come back with backpacks full of, uh, of fossils and stones. Uh, so, and I studied biology in the in high school. And I continued uh, studying biology also after my, so that was my direction. And I always had an eye to the biology and to the microscope and another eye to the sky, or to the telescope. And uh, how, um, why, did, why didn't you choose um, the, the academic career path, you know, when, and how did you, um, Uh, how did the, the fire of entrepreneurship or, or being in the industry, because you have a very uh, tough uh, background also in the biotech industry, uh, how did you uh, manage, you know, in your mind that maybe the academic career was not for you and you wanted to, you know, to be more on the, on the application side? Yeah, so um, when I started studying biology, I, was, I had the feeling that it's more about you know, running after butterflies with a net and uh, and studying them it was more of that but uh, one one of the courses that i took was an int introduction to biotechnology and uh, the actually the professor that gave uh, that course i mean professor amichai freeman at the tel aviv university um he uh, he gave a course that described what you could do in the biotechnology actually the uh, the understanding that I could use my microbes and microorganisms, cells, to produce products that could save lives, that could uh, remediate the environment, I think that uh, that blew all of my fuses. That really turned me on, and uh, I decided then that uh, I want to take my career into biotechnology. And uh, so my uh, master's and uh, PhD were microbiology and biotechnology. Uh, in between, I had a, a year in between them, uh, one of them in which I was participated in the International Space University. And, uh, and also that was in order to bring together my love of space exploration and biology. Um, but in, in the PhD studies, doing my uh, experiments, I understood 
that I want to be where things are, where application is, where we're actually not doing only research, but actually developing products that have impact on humanity. And I decided that I'll go into the end once I finish my studies. And actually, I was very lucky to have friends that brought me into a startup company at the year 2000 when I finished my, my PhD. And actually, since then until now, I was in different startup companies uh, in all kinds of areas from diagnostics to uh, research tools. I was in, uh, if they're biologists, uh, la uh, lab people in uh, call. So I was in a company uh, in vitrogen and life uh, mm -hmm. uh, technologies and now Thermo Fisher uh, for almost 10 years. I was in a pharmaceutical company uh, developing uh, Parkinson's uh, treatment. Um, but in the end, uh, I always felt that I want to do something uh, of my own. Uh, and I was, for many years, I think uh, for all of those 20 years, the industry, I, uh, I was thinking, what, what can I do? And, uh, um, here, I bring another uh, experience that I had um, when I was in uh, my bachelor studies. Um, I, went par I studied how to be a paraglider operator as, as sport. I used to fly a paraglider. And I really sucked as a, as a paraglider pilot. And uh, I, I crashed uh, up in the Golan Heights. Uh, was severely wounded, double pneumothoraxes, and both of your lungs explode. Wow. Uh, I lost a lot of blood. And I woke up uh, on a helicopter with a blood transfusion going into me. And that was in 1990. HIV was in the rise. And the truth is I was a bit uh, scared that maybe my blood transfusion wasn't tested properly. And um, from, uh, from that experience, and of course, uh, the, the doctor that treated me, uh, uh, that did the field surgery that saved my life and gave me the blood, said, don't worry, the blood was tested. Um, but uh, it still was uh, bugging me. How, how is blood supplied? How, how is it tested? Um, how good is the supply? Uh, it, it was really strange to me that uh, pharmaceutical products are tested so rigorous and have such um, high standard uh, testing. And here we're taking a body fluid from one person, giving it a few tests and giving it to the next person. Um, as safe as it, uh, as it has been made, it still uh, seemed strange to me. Very not uh, fit for the, year, for, uh, the 21st century. Um, and as I was going by until actually 2012, as I was scouting for different technologies in Israel, I came across a, a company, a group that spun out of the Technion, a company called Excelta. And um, this company had a technology, has a technology that enables um, growing stem cells in a very special way that allows to grow the, uh, the stem cells with a unlimited uh, volume, an unlimited, uh, uh, you could scale them up in, in an unlimited way. And at a, at a certain point, I understood we could take this technology of cultivating stem cells and uh, producing red blood cells and actually solve, uh, if not all, but most of the, um, of the challenges of the supply of red blood cells. 
Um, so the, from that point, uh, I started calculating and seeing how we could uh, do it and started Red Sea. And we're actually in the lab um, since, uh, since uh, 2019, uh, working on the process, uh, applying the technology, the, the IP, the uh, cultivation technology from Excelta for the cultivation of red blood. Maybe this is, this is a good time to go and tell you how we're going to do this. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you made a fantastic transition. Thank you so much. Um, maybe one question on Accelerate. Accelerate is, um, <clears throat> uh, is, is a R&D uh, startup company, uh, and uh, they don't have uh, by their own the, the will you know, to, to go further. Uh, they, 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 they were seeking an entrepreneur, right, to, to develop further. Um, Accelta is mostly a company for, that gives uh, services and uh, for development and licenses their technology. Uh, so there's a perfect uh, fit here. We're using uh, their technology innovation for the production of red bloods. And uh, so there's a license uh, behind that and everything that has to go with that. Technology is the basis for large-scale production. Fantastic. Maybe we can we can directly now talk about red 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 C biotech. Uh, if, um, um, so you 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 incorporated the company uh, in uh, before the COVID, right? Just before the COVID. Yeah, before the COVID. So you know, it takes time to raise the money to do the licensing. But since 2019, uh, we did about a year of proof of concept, and from 2020, we're taking. The process that we started developing, uh, working in uh, and slowly and gradually growing the the scale into dynamic cultures uh, and learning the process how to apply the technology into the production of the red blood. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the to in order to solve the the supply, you know, in the end, red blood cells and uh, it they're. The, their job in our body is to be an oxygen carrier. And there were many attempts throughout the, uh, the past several dozens of years to solve this uh, problem. Oxygen carrying capacity for our body. There were several uh, uh, companies that developed uh, chemical uh, oxygen carrying capacities, uh, different ways of encapsulating hemoglobin, polymerizing hemoglobin, uh, other uh, materials like perfluorocarbons, all of these materials have very high shelf life and oxygen carrying capacity, but they they turn out to be toxic most of them. So you could administer them, you could could save the life of a person at that moment, giving them the oxygen capacity, but mostly these materials do not uh, agree with our body. Mm. and cause um, indirect effects. Um, so the other direction of producing uh, the oxygen carrying capacity is by manufacturing actual red blood cells. And uh, to manufacture the actual red blood cells, they're, they're, uh, it's by using stem cells. And this is uh, what we're also doing. Uh, but there are stem cells, the technology for using stem cells has different uh, aspects. So uh, many of us know that perhaps 20 years ago, uh, and even up to about a decade ago, um, embryonic stem cells, or stem cells that were sourced from uh, embryos were very easy to get, but there was a lot of ethical 
controversies about the use of and um, and fortunately um, they were set aside because of a very important uh, uh, discovery that a professor from Kyoto from Japan made called Yamanaka um, where uh, he developed a way of neutralizing a few genes and producing a, a type of stem cells which are called induced pluripotency. These stem cells are stem cells that the source of the cells can be any cell in the body. Uh, from adult people, for example, you could use skin or, or, red or white blood cells from a, a human sample. You could take them from a person from a patient and in order to produce his own cells, or he could do, take them from a person that has a special uh, characteristic and produce a cell, uh, a stem cell line that will produce a, a target product. So stem cells are very, are very important cells in our body. They replenish, um, they replenish all of our tissue and produce more blood, more skin cells. Um, but when we look at them at an industrial level, they have two very important characteristics. The first is that the population of stem cells replenishes itself, and you could produce unlimited amounts of stem cells if you know how to do that. The second important part of a uh, characteristic of stem cells is that if you know the, uh, the chemical and biological process to turn these cells into uh, the target cell, so you can produce any cell uh, that you, theoretically, any cell that we have in our body. Um, and this, this is uh, at the essence of, so we're taking the stem cells, the pluripotent stem cells are stem cells uh, that, have, that are taken from a donor with characteristics that we know, and uh, we're able, and this is, this is what's special about te our technology, is that we're able to grow these cells in suspension as single cells, uh, un unlimited, which means that the potential to scale up and grow these cells in a very large bioreactor is unlimited. Uh, and of course, uh, and this is the process that we're developing, is taking these stem cells and differentiating them into red blood cells. Many groups are uh, know how to take uh, progenitor cells, uh, cells that have been uh, taken from our uh, body, uh, from our bloodstream, and relatively uh, easy, not, nothing's easy, but are able to take these uh, progenitor cells and turn them into safe and effective red blood cells, but the amount that they're able to produce is limited. Limited uh, because once your cell, the cell is already committed to be a progenitor cell, the number of, uh, of multiplications that it could do is limited so the end point that you have uh, is relatively limited um, we're circumventing that uh, that uh, challenge by the fact that we're growing very large amounts of naive stem cells when these cells are still have still not differentiated what's called undifferentiated cells and when we have a very high mass of only then we start pushing them from the state of naive cells to, uh, red, to, uh, to the progenitor cells and to the red blood cells. So this, this, uh, this uh, different strategy will allow us to end, to finish up uh, with a higher amount of cells. And because the cells are grown in suspension, 
um, and uh, in a bioreactor, the efficiency and the density of cells is much higher, meaning that the cost per cell uh, or per, per volume unit can be, uh, can be much lower. And also, as we could see uh, all around us, this field of cultivated meat and the technologies for very high large scale um, uh, cultivation of stem cells and cells uh, to produce a product. There, these, these technologies are growing as we are speaking all around us. So the, the, the platforms, the materials, and uh, all of the industry that uh, brings all of the growth factor, the raw materials that are needed, is also growing, meaning that the cost of raw materials will go lower and lower. So uh, our challenges are on one side, making a very highly efficient process of differentiating, of growing high mass of naive stem cells, differentiating them into red blood cells, and of course, making them as low cost as possible to, to, uh, to make a product that could compete in its cost to the cost of a donated blood unit. Mm. So maybe about a bit about the numbers here, which we didn't talk about before. A blood unit today in, in, uh, in a high income countries is about 200 US dollars, more or less. Some, some places it's, they're more efficient. So the amplitude could go from $100 to about $400 for a processed red blood unit when a hospital will purchase it. Uh, but on that, there are additional costs, uh, cross-linking, uh, different uh, cleaning and separation and processing of blood units. So um, in the end, we have to compete with the cost. The minimum cost that we have to compete with is $200 per unit. And our target uh, at the end of the line uh, is to produce a blood unit at the cost of $50 per unit. Um, this this will not happen immediately. Mm -hmm. This this uh, the, one of the main uh, points is economy of scale. In order to reach such uh, uh, costs, you have to have very large scale. You have to be able to produce the, the uh, you have to have the purchasing capacity to buy low cost uh, raw materials. And you have to have the production capacity uh, of ver a, a large, um, large amounts of cells so that cost per unit. So we'll achieve this in time. We'll take several years but and uh, when going to market maybe we'll talk about that later going to will be gradual as our capacity fantastic <clears throat> just let me just uh, uh, remind um the the source of your of your red cells it's uh induced pluripotent stem cells right from one universal donor right yeah this maybe that that's that's important to explain here so the the uh, this 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 is another a section and a very important section of our work, and that's how do we produce universal red blood, uh, red blood cells? How do we produce O-negative cells and perhaps even uh, more pristine and universal cells than only O-negative? Uh, red blood cells uh, are very interesting cells. They, um, at a certain point when the cell differentiates, these cells eject, it's called enucleation, these cells eject their nucleus, meaning that a, a red blood cell, when it's uh, mature, 
is not able to uh, multiply. It will not, uh, you will not get additional blood cells. Uh, this is also the reason why the red blood cell has that very special concave uh, structure. Uh, it's ver- the, the red blood cell is red because of hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is an, an iron-carrying uh, molecule that has the capacity of, uh, of chelating or holding an oxygen uh, atom. A molecule uh, when it goes, but the structure uh, allows also very high uh, surface that allows the red blood cell to uh, to absorb the oxygen very quickly and give off uh, carbon dioxide in our lungs. But the, the concave shape that uh, gives the, the cells uh, deformability and uh, flexibility that allows them to bend and stretch and go into the smallest uh, blood uh, vessels that we have. That's on one side. Uh, These cells are also very small. They're about half the size of our standard uh, red blood cells. There are seven to eight uh, microns in diameter, Uh, also because they do not have the nucleus. Um, But this means also that these cells have a very high density uh, they they set uh, you could separate them very easily and because they're small you could filter them very easily a very uh, important asset for us in order to make sure that we have no um, uh, re- remnants or residual uh, white blood cells or other cells that have not differentiated in a blood transfusion that and how do we get the universal uh, uh, cells so a red blood cell has about their their own on red blood cells we have about 35 different antigens among them there's a variety of about 350 variants humanity meaning hmm. there's a lot of complexity here but the main ones that contribute to a rejection of blood and the adverse reactions of a red blood cell are most and most important the abu group you know a person who has b b blood cannot donate to a vice versa o can give everybody and you have the rhd group which contributes to the positive and negative group and of course negative is the more universal so an o negative blood type is the best there are additional antigens that uh, that are in the human population around the world and um, we are we we have done a bioinformatics study and interviewed many hematologists in order to understand what a a, a truly universal blood type will be and what we'll be doing and this is a project we're going into next year uh, we're going to be contacting some of these people it's a very rare blood group these uh, these really true universal people uh, are very rare they're about uh, um, less than about one out of ten thousand in our population Um, and these people can donate to everyone and cannot accept from anyone but their uh, but themselves. Uh, believe it or not, these people have their own blood stored in case they have to go to an operation or if they have an accident, they have their own blood stored for them. But they could give everyone and most uh, and people that are heavily transfused, like people suffering from sickle cell disease or thalassemia, can receive their blood and will have a minimum. Uh, side effects from the um, we will be working with several of these people in order to produce and this is a one-time donation that these people give uh, we will be taking their uh, blood sample 
producing cell lines from these uh, from their blood and selecting uh, what we would call the mother or the father of all uh, blood donors and making a blood bank, uh, a master cell bank, a master cell bank that of a cell line that their this blood type will fit all humanity and be able to produce blood for all humans forever. This is one of the assets that we're building that will be able to feed, uh, be a raw material for our process, uh, for the production of universal red blood. Uh, the technology that enables us, that Yamanaka technology coming to Kyoto. Uh, so yeah. uh, to, uh, to better understand the logistic of your business, so uh, you will you will certainly uh, provide this uh, IPS cell drive from these universal donors to uh, the local hospital in uh, um, that we are going to collaborate with them you know how this is this is the ip and uh, the ips cell uh, produced uh, in your in house uh, by you will be will be sent to the different uh, blood agency and and hospital and clinics etc right yeah, and they, so they will our, our presentation themselves so the, our vision I, we don't believe that hospitals or perhaps even the blood agencies themselves will have the uh, the capacity to produce the red blood cells uh, cells themselves mm-hmm. uh, but the the way we vision it that uh, the in, we will have uh, production sites either uh, with collaboration companies or with uh, global pro- uh, uh, bioproduction companies mm-hmm. that will that will establish production sites all around the world, uh, like in every continent, in every region, you will have one or two uh, blood production plants that will use, as you said, the, uh, the stem cells that we will produce and the process uh, and the, the raw materials. Uh, each one of these production sites will, uh, will be under the local regulatory system because every uh, region has its own Every country has its own regulatory uh, process uh, uh, requirements for the production of pharmaceuticals and uh, especially blood. Uh, so we want to meet, we will have to meet the requirements in every place. Uh, and also another point for logistic reasons, we want to have uh, to di- uh, diversify the supply chain all over the world. You want to make sure that uh, the uh, blood, that the raw materials can be brought from different places, but also the uh, production will be uh, near the hospitals. So we believe, uh, we're, we're vision, our vision is we'll have multiple production sites in every continent uh, that will produce the red blood cells and be able to supply. And another part of it is that we will have um, Uh, redundancy between the region. Uh, if one region has a catastrophe or there's a, an earthquake, uh, people are famine in one area, people cannot donate in one area because the production will be uni- uh, the same uniform and uh, it will virtually be the, the same product, we will be able to move blood from one place to another. Today, um, blood is a national treasure. Mm. Uh, countries do not share blood uh, readily. And, uh, you know, uh, in Western uh, countries, um, we know that, for example, that for a short period, there was a, a supply of blood to, to Ukraine. 
when there was the earthquake in Nepal, there was some blood supply. But usually this does not happen. Uh, and each country is at its own. This way, when it's an off-the-shelf pharmaceutical product, we'll be able to, to save people everywhere. And also, when the capacity will grow, we'll be able to send blood also to low-income countries. You know, uh, uh, many countries in sub-Saharan Africa, occurrence of uh, sickle cell disease is very high, where the uh, amount of uh, people that suffer from tropical diseases that cause anemia uh, in the uh, thalassemia belt that we have uh, coming uh, from the Mediterranean all the way to Southeast Asia. We have extremely high occurrence of anemic uh, thalassemia patients. All of these places, we have uh, very large amounts, uh, numbers, anemic, transfusion-dependent people that require blood. And uh, very unfortunately, these are also, in many cases, uh, countries that do not have the capacity to supply blood properly. So, and uh, I see a lot of countries that um, could supply maybe 25 to 30% the amount of blood. If we're, we'll be able to grow in capacity and source low-cost uh, uh, raw materials, we'll be able to produce blood that will be able to be supplied to everywhere, anywhere, really saving millions of the, um, the, your solution is so uh, elegant, so 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 powerful, and so uh, so what what can I say? So efficient. Uh, it's the the wool process from the iPS cells to the red cells is protected by fifty patent, right? Right. The the actual the most of the technology that uh, we're using is for the first scale up of the naive cells. The actual the process of taking stem cells and differentiating them. Into the uh, into the red blood cells uh, from from the point that you have progenitor cells is very widely known, and there there aren't a lot of variations to that. We have a lot of know-how that we have learned in the process of development, a lot of tricks, a lot of uh, but not a lot of things that defended by patent. But the actual technology that allows us to grow the IPS as single cell in suspension and reach extremely high densities that is that uh, that part of the technology is very highly patented you said for 50 patents seven uh, patent families and uh, that that is the basis for the for the high scale production and uh, what is the 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 yield of uh, of red uh, red cells obtention do you have a 100% red cells when you do the process or do you have to to to, to filter uh, blood, white white cells and uh, um, any process any process like this uh, is not a hundred percent yield and um, when we have the cost uh, by raw materials on one side making an efficient and short uh, production process is uh, the main biological the main uh, challenge and um, so here this is this is the essence of what we're doing how to make the best out of every step, how make, how uh, taking each step in our differentiating process, making it as efficient as possible, uh, making it as short, and reaching the highest yield. And this is something that we're growing in the in the in the ability. Uh, and uh, from a process that took over 40 days, we're going to get near to uh, 
a month at the end of the process from yields that we started were at the uh, 30 to 40 percent we're taking them up to the 80 to 90 percent uh, and 90 percent at the target there will always be cells that have not differentiated well enough uh, that not have not gone into the direction that you want and that will have to be so that that's part of the cost that 10 percent uh, cells and, and debris that uh, cannot go into so uh, as you are uh, as you are seeking to raise funds right right now uh, maybe we can discuss a little bit about uh, the business model and how you are you are what is your vision about uh, uh, how you are going to make money uh, it's, it's of course biotech with the with the cause but uh, but it's a company so we, we have to discuss this point um, how do you expect to to make money what what would be your business model uh, um, yeah so Red Sea biotech we envision ourselves as supplying the core technology, uh, both out of uh, licensing. So when when we will have production sites all over the world, and, uh, so uh, we will supply the stem cells and the, the basic materials and the know-how. So we'll have licensing uh, fees, and the companies that will produce will be uh, will be paying uh, royalties. On, on the on the sales of uh, red blood cells uh, of the red blood cell units that's our main model this will enable us to continue and develop additional cell lines will be, enable us to perhaps look into other directions uh, the, the, when looking far into the future um, the best solution will be to have a whole blood transfusion a blood that consists not only of the red blood cells, but also from uh, platelets and from an artificial plasma. Uh, so if we take uh, artificially produced platelets, uh, by the way, there's a company, a group in Japan that are already doing trials of IPS produced um, platelets in Japan. And if, you, if we take all of these components, we'll be able to produce an even higher uh, for let's say for people that have anemia, all they need is red blood cells. Uh, but people that go into operations or suffer from an accident and different trauma treatment, the women in labor that lost blood in in, in childbirth, the newborn babies, these people need uh, both platelets, plasma, and red blood cells. And the, the in the end, we would like to supply uh, the full the the full uh, the full blood unit. Um, Red blood cells are a big enough challenge for for now, and a very big um, uh, challenge as it. Uh, right now we're scaling up. We're we're at the very first stages of taking our process uh, into dynamic bioreactors, and it will take us about uh, two two more years to reach uh, preclinical testing, um, meaning that it will take us at least uh, five more years to be to commercialize. After we have done some clinical the required clinical testing, um, so we're seeking um, uh, investments um, as we are speaking. And we'll be happy for people to contact me and uh, talk to me after that uh, about investments. Can Can um, we talk about the, the the amounts you are seeking, or do you prefer so to keep it? I would like to, that's something uh, we're at this point right now we're looking we're seeking five million dollars uh, but of course the requirements will grow 
as the capacity grows, as the scale grows, as we go into preclinical and clinical testing, uh, all of these, uh, these uh, amount of investment that is required uh, grows, uh, can't say exponentially, but grows uh, considerably. But at this point, that's what we're seeing in order to make us, uh, to bring us to a point where uh, we could produce a scale and quality that could go into preclinical. Great, great. So let's let let me launch a call out uh, for you. So if there are investors uh, here who would like to support such an amazing project, so contact Dr. Argia here directly to talk about further about uh, this opportunity. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Gargia. We I think we have a, a very great view of what you are doing. And maybe to, to, to conclude and to discuss uh, something lighter, maybe we can talk about other possible maybe science fiction application of your of your solution we about you know there are a, a lot of hype nowadays about re rejuvenation and longevity uh, could we imagine maybe uh, mixing uh, your universal red cells with uh, with growth factors you know and to 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 rejuvenate people this is something that it's possible or even maybe used by you know by sportsmen illegally you know to 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 clean their blood <laughs> and to be more performant Right. We, we all know the story of Lance Armstrong taking erythropoietin, EPO, or epigen. Uh, that's the actual, that's one of our main, main uh, raw materials. That, that's the main uh, molecule that commands uh, a progenitor cell to turn into a red blood cell. So this, the, uh, that's uh, the famous story. And there, as you said, there are many stories about taking blood from young people and transfusing a, a, what people like to call vampire, uh, <laughs> uh, vampire rejuvenation. Um, red blood cells that we're going to be producing will be very high, perhaps, uh, and most likely will have a longer shelf. As you know, in our body, we have cells that are between 1 and 120 years uh, days old. Uh, the cells that we'll be producing are all uh, harvested at once. So mm. the cells will be very young and high quality, perhaps survive in our body uh, extended time. Some uh, preliminary experiments show that that is, uh, that mo uh, is very likely to... Um, I, I have no idea how, what effect the red blood cells per se will have on the uh, rejuvenation uh, of a person. Um, Also, most likely, the growth factor, the environment of the blood uh, that comes with the red blood cells is the one that contributes most to, to rejuvenation and, and contributing to the person's uh, longevity. Uh, but who knows? That's something that can be tested. Um, to, I have also two other questions about uh, other possible markets. The, the, um... What about the veterinary medicine market? Is there a need of blood transfusion for, for our pets or for farming pets? I don't know, because I don't know anything about this market, but maybe you have some, some key for us. Yeah, so uh, our pets, because they're mammals, and uh, uh, like, like we are, uh, they need blood. Dogs okay, and also cats occasionally get blood transfusions. Uh, the veterinarians, in many cases, uh, have to struggle in order to get blood transfusions. Uh, um, there, in some places, uh, there is a blood. There are blood banks, and some veterinarians take a upon themselves to produce blood banks to supply blood. Uh, but uh, 
in the case of uh, at least the one, the, the, the pets, uh, house, uh, animals that I studied, uh, cats, dogs, and horses, uh, it turns out to be that their, their blood types are, are more complex than ours. Uh, as humans, uh, we're, we're relatively lucky hmm. that we have a, a relatively system that enables us to, to share blood easily. When it comes to our uh, hairy loved ones, it's more complex. Uh, and then, of, of course, that's seen a veteran. Uh, we have a freezer, but I... Yeah, I, I... A universal is uh, the market. The, yeah, the market is, is maybe difficult. The other point yes, is the, the size the, of the, the market. The size of the market is very, so maybe difficult to evaluate. So human, but there is a need. There is a need, yeah. And mm, perhaps absolutely. the next stage will be will be pet and, uh, and household. Mm, absolutely. Uh, maybe a last question uh, about the... We can also imagine uh, that the, 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 the red cell you produce can be also, also be... Um, a drug carrier, you know, because they are, you know, for the vaccine, they there are a lot of um, uh, research that try to develop uh, phospholipids, you know, to, to envelop the, the mRNA or any kind of drugs. They are good, but they are not perfect. But now you have a real cells, you know, with you that can that can be a drug carrier. Have you have you thought about that? Right. Yes. And uh, when we talked in the beginning. Or perhaps I forgot to, to mention it, but another application other than transfusion is advanced therapies. And there are quite a few companies around the world that are developing uh, the use of red blood cells as uh, for advanced therapies. And this goes into two directions. Um, there, there used to be a company called uh, Rubius, and there is a company now called Scarlet uh, Therapeutics in the UK that produce red blood cells that express on their surface different antigens, mm. uh, which could elicit an immune response uh, and against cancer or as immunization, or perhaps very similar to a CAR-T kind of a treatment is used for uh, cancer. So the, one of the most important things about red blood is because they're, uh, if they're universal or if they're O negative, they are not rejected by your body. The other important point is that these cells can survive in our bloodstream for up to 100, 120 days, which means that you have uh, an agent that could be go, uh, uh, swimming around in our bloodstream for uh, over three months. And uh, so we mentioned those companies that coat or express antigens on the surface of the cells. And there are another six or seven companies around the world that are developing different methods of, of pushing different therapeutics into the red blood cells, either by using uh, electrical shocks or osmotic shocks, but they're able to push different therapeutics into the volume of the red blood cell using the red blood cell as a carrier. And because the cells will be um, metabolized or uh, dismantled in our body slowly and gradually, or even if you could direct them to different uh, targets, uh, organs. So uh, the, it's an, an ideal carrier for these, mm. for these therapeutics. So this is uh, perhaps uh, maybe a longer, uh, uh, so there are a few uh, clinical trials uh, already out there using blood from blood donation. 
but this it's uh, it's a, a different market it's a very uh, promising market and, and opposed to blood cell uh, blood supply for transfusions where the gross margin is uh, smaller over here these are very advanced therapies that uh, that have very high gross margins per tree fantastic this is very promising and exciting uh, you are on a very important uh, domain and very impactful uh, Thank you so much for being my guest. Uh, maybe if you want to say a last word, uh, maybe did I did I uh, do a question that you would like me to ask and I forget? Uh, <clears throat> no, I have a feeling that we covered it all. Uh, maybe just to, to summarize that we're talking about a, a very great or a very big unmet need. Uh, people around the world require blood and will require blood This is a market that will not uh, diminish, will perhaps only grow. Um, it's an extremely large market with uh, a very large potential that has not, uh, which we're maybe talking about uh, today, about it maybe half of the supply around the world. So we still have an enormous way to grow and supply. And most important, it's a global um, humanitarian need and uh, we're going to be saving lives of literally of millions of people and uh, i think uh, what we're going through now in israel and uh, many uh, incidents around the world we know that it's extremely important now that uh, um, but based on this i think just uh, let's hope for peace and prosperity for everybody And uh, and I really thank you, Ari and Harold, and the whole uh, ev all of the people that are listening uh, for for joining. And I'm very happy to tell Red Sea's story. It was a great pleasure to have you, Doctor Doctor Gargia. 